0: You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm the editor of Renew Economy and also The Driven website, which focuses on electric vehicles. And people may remember that just in the last few weeks, we held our inaugural electric vehicle transition conference in Sydney, Australia. And it was a fantastic event. Um, Uh, Event It was a great success. We heard a lot of really interesting presentations from politicians, the policy makers, government people, from the electric car makers, from charging machine makers, from the utilities, from the institutions which will help advise and manage this transition. And it really was a great event. And what we're going to do over the next five days is actually roll out some of our favorite presentations just to give you a bit of a taste of what what went on and, um, and what some people had to say. The first one we're going to hear from today is Tim Washington. Now, Tim Washington is the founder and CEO of Jet Charge. It's an Australian company, and Tim's company has installed more electric vehicle charging stations than anybody else in Australia. They are primarily responsible for installing charging stations inside homes of people who have electric vehicles, but they also do Bigger charging stations and shopping centres and out on the highway with those fast charging stations as well. So Tim is really well positioned to um, give an insight on what the future might hold. I guess for me, the big two takeaways from this was one, his comments at the start that this transition may seem inevitable, but it is not guaranteed and certainly the pace of it's not guaranteed. And I think what he says there really has to be taken on board. It's very important. The second thing is, and uh, we actually wrote a story about this at the time, is his prediction that because of electric vehicles, because of the storage they hold and because of the technologies which will come more widespread over the next few years... They have every possibility of completely displacing household storage and to become a really interesting and valuable and mobile resource for the grid in the future, particularly as we have more renewables. And I just find that really fascinating. So, not so much a uh, car with a battery, but a battery with wheels. Anyway, let's hear what Tim Washington has to say. This is Tim Washington from Jet Charge speaking at the EV Transition Conference in Sydney in August. <laughs>
1: Hi, everyone. Um, Hope you're all feeling suitably transitioned uh, because we're near the end. Um, One thing I'll say before I get into this presentation and from everything I've heard today, I've only had the um, opportunity to be here today, is I hope we as an industry can be three things. So even if you doze off during my presentation, I hope we can all walk away with my key message, which is we need to be three things. We need to be vigilant, we need to be organised, and we need to be ambitious. And what I mean by that is... As the, people on the gr- As the people who are on the ground rolling out this charger infrastructure, I can tell you with 100% certainty that nothing that we're saying in this room is guaranteed. That there is absolutely no guarantee that we are going to go to a future where everything is managed, where everything is dandy, and Phil controls 100% of EV chargers on the market, right? <laughs> Unless we are vigilant... And we are organized and we are ambitious about what we want to achieve and how we integrate EVs into the grid none of those things will happen and as the company that's rolling out the thousands of charging stations right now around the country that is an absolute fact so um, I'm the CEO of jet charge um, so this is very strategic because we have a jet charge car on a charge Fox kind of stations like my diplomatic intro slide. Um, So I'm going to be talking about a few things. But I think the most important thing to realise, and I know it's cars and buses and boats, but I'm trying to illustrate a point, is that we're not talking about anything crazy new here. We're talking about cars. I think when we're kind of sitting in this room and we're part of our own bubble, we seem to think that we're talking about something totally crazy that nobody's ever thought of before. But really, we're just talking about cars. And we're just talking about fuel. We know fuel, we understand that it makes cars go, we've used it before, and electricity is just another form of fuel, right? But the great thing about electricity is that it's tied to property. And this is where we start seeing the dynamics um, shifting for the type of fuel that we use and who gets to control the distribution of that fuel. Because whereas petrol and diesel and all of those fossil fuels are really tied to distribution, Right? And I mean like literal logistics cart from Middle East to here distribution, whereas electricity is more local, it's more property based, right? And the way we control that distribution is through technology, which is why fuel and ChargeFox and EV were so exciting because we get to control this new type of fuel through technology. Of course, everyone has to make a bit of money and the environment, not just. The environment, as we all talk about, CO2 emissions, etc. but the built environment. How do we see the garages of the future? How do we see the homes of the future? That kind of environment. Okay, so today I want to talk about two things. The first is that we have two assumed realities. Well, certainly I have two assumed realities before I really started looking at this. The first is that home battery storage is going to keep going up that we're going to keep buying home battery storage because it makes sense to do so, and that's going to be one of the primary forms of how we store and distribute electricity in our homes. And the second is that private car ownership is going to go down, right? So not to sound like a Coles but yeah, down, down, down. Um, The other thing I will say about this presentation is that it is probably PG to M rated. I might swear a bit. Um, And not because I'm keen on profanity, but just because some of this blows my mind. Um, But... The second thing is that this probably will raise more questions than answers. So if you don't really like questions, you're probably going to suffer through the next 15 minutes. Um, so this is a brag slide. Um, so what do we do? We're the largest EV charging infrastructure business uh, in the country. We distribute and install thousands of charging stations. Um, so we did about 1,000 last year. We'll probably do about three to 4,000 this year. Um, we don't only do you know the big public charging stations, but we're the ones in homes. Sounds creepy, but... That's what we do. We're going homes, we install charging stations, right? Um, And our sister company, Chargefox is building the 350 kilowatt charging network and it's the largest charging network in the country. Okay, so let's do a warm-up. I'm not going to ask everyone to stand because I hate that shit when people do that. Um, But I just kind of want to go through three concepts and laying the foundation for how we think about EV charging, right? So this is what I would call a mental warm-up, okay? So the first is that... We no longer see fuel, or sorry, I no longer see fuel as how fast, but how many. So what does this mean? This means that it is not so much about how many cars you can get through a petrol bowser in an hour, right, so if you think on average you get every session takes five minutes and you go through it, it's mostly about people like, you know, these fossil fuel companies, they really care about how many cars they can get through, in and out, in and out, in and out, right, because at the end of this day, the petrol stations are actually on a pretty small piece of land, this is the biggest one that I know of, um, that I drive past, it's in Melbourne and um, I think they've got like 20 or 25 pumps or whatever, it's huge, it's on both sides of the freeway. But if you compare it to my local supermarket, which is tiny, it's a pretty small supermarket, they have hundreds of parking spots, right? So when we transition to an electric future, it's really not about how many cars you can get through those pumps. It's really about how many cars you can park at once and how many cars you can charge at the same time. Because you're not with your car, obviously, when you're charging an electric car. Even ultra rapid, we're talking 15 to 20 minutes. You're not with your car. So really, it's about how many cars you can charge at once. And that's why property is so important, because in the future, and this is what I tell all of my retail clients, is that essentially, I personally think they will become the largest electricity retailers in the country. The second is the cost of infrastructure is spread, not concentrated. So, what do I mean by that? Most of the infrastructure is built. So, when people talk about billions and billions and billions of dollars that need to go into charging infrastructure. The first is, Evan will point out to you, it's actually not that big a number anyway. But even if it were, it's actually only a fraction of the cost of what it took us to set up the fuel distribution network, the global logistics chain that is the fossil fuel network. Because electricity, most of the foundations for electricity is already built. So even if we take the ludicrous example that was in the Australian today of seven billion billion, one, one, it's not that much. Two, it's distributed among millions and millions and millions of Australians. Have you installed a PowerPoint to charge your electric car? Well, you've contributed. Congratulations to charging infrastructure. So it's not a scary number because it's distributed among so many people. And the third is that cars will be an energy asset first and a mobility asset second. So this is kind of where we go into um, the main kind of uh, the presentation. And I've spelled out a few things here, right? And my personal view is that bi-directional charging through EVs will spell the end of residential storage as we know it. I think it will completely displace it. Um, I remember hearing Christian Hamburg speak probably about five years ago when he was talking about vehicle to grid. And I said to myself, that's never going to take off, right? Turns out Christian was just ahead of his time. And there are two things that changed my mind, right? Two things specifically that changed my mind. The first was that Nissan coming out and saying that we are going to introduce a vehicle-to-grid capable car that doesn't void battery warranty. I never thought that a car manufacturer would come out and say that it won't void battery warranty, but they have. That's changed my mind. The second is that I learned vehicle-to-grid standards are not standardised through the vehicle, but rather through the plug, That was something that I learnt. So, Chatamo, which is the Outlander and the Nissan LEAF, that's how they do vehicle-to-grid. And CCS2, which is the other major Western standard, GBT is the Chinese standard, but CCS2 have said that they will standardise vehicle-to-grid by 2024. So, that means every single vehicle coming onto the market will be vehicle-to-grid capable out of the box. And it's just a question of whether or not you use it. Okay. I like to lay the foundation. I like to have a go at my um, clients. So, um, this is a survey that was done by the AEMC, which basically said that trust in electricity and utilities is down to 39% in 2018. I always give my kind of clients a bit of a ribbing and I'm like, that's pretty low percentage for an essential service. Um, And that's because the retailers are slow to innovate on tariff pricing and products. I first presented this slide at a marketing conference for Mumbrella. But it kind of proves the point that there is a bit of a trust issue at the moment with utilities. So what does that mean? That means that you have automotive companies trying to be the answer. Tesla is the obvious example. This is the front page of Tesla Energy. But one that you may not know of, or you may, um, is a company called Ellie. Ellie is the electricity arm of the the Volkswagen Group, which launched this year. And with automotive profits going down and getting hit by electrification because they have to invest in so much R&D, but also because people are buying less cars, they're looking to entire other sectors of how to fuel growth for their shareholders, and energy has been identified as one of them. Funnily enough, oil companies are also looking at the electricity sector. And so we're really seeing an intersection of these two things. And the reason they're in this is because, well, their cars are electric. Makes sense. So in that context, our assume reality one is that home stationary storage is going to go up and up. So I'm going to take a few numbers here. Um, I've been pretty good about my sources. You know. So Australia is going to be the largest residence. This is from Bloomberg. It's going to be the largest storage market in 2019. You know, You've heard all of this. It's going to be huge... And from one step off the grid, this is basically every single battery storage um, kind of program in the country, yeah? Stuff that you can get a subsidy for. This article's about a year old, but I took it to prove a point. I added all of them up, and excluding solar homes, which is mostly for PV uh, in Victoria, it's about 157,800 systems, okay? So things that you can get a subsidy for, and mostly consumers will buy things that they get subsidies for, so that makes sense. Assuming that you get 10 kilowatt hours per battery pack, which is, you know, on average, you get about 1.5 gigs worth of storage. Less actual actual power output because a lot of these home battery storage systems can't actually output that much power. But in terms of storage, you're looking at 1.5. And then, obviously, we heard from Mick before, this is EV adoption. So at some point in the near future, and it may be 2021, it may be 2024, it may be 2026, whatever, right? I think it's about 2024, we're going to hit 10%. I like 10% because it's an easy number. We'll sell about 100,000 vehicles a year. And I'm being conservative here that I think the average battery pack size sold with electric vehicles will be 40 kilowatt hours. I think it'll probably be more like 50, right? But assuming 40, that's four gigs of storage every single year that are gonna be introduced into the market. And all of these vehicles are unsubsidized, probably, right? And then the home store, vehicle, to grid, vehicle to home charging stations that we're bringing this year are gonna be 7.2 kilowatts. So assuming that you've got you know, 720,000 kilowatts of output potential. So let's remember this number that we're gonna get every single year. Okay, so this is a forecast of how much battery storage is gonna be installed in Australia up until 2038. And I want you to focus on this number here because it's um, something that AEMO come out with every single year, which is a statement of opportunities on the grid. They look at, you know, what's going to happen on the grid. And they predict that by 2038, we will have not quite close to um, three gigs of storage, kilowatt hours of storage. But you remember the previous number, right? that we're going to have four gigawatt hours of storage every single year through electric vehicles. But AMO think that we're not going to even get to three just on stationary storage alone by 2038. And there's this other problem. AMO also think that 25% of battery systems will be connected to VPPs because of various, you know, um, incentives by retailers and DNSPs and the like, but 75% won't be. And out of those 75%, they don't even think they're very useful for demand response because they will use all of their energy to store the energy, uh, use all of the electricity that they store. So they will become, down there, I've highlighted it, they'll become energy islands. So you can't even use it. So what's the answer then? Do we tell the home buyer to buy bigger battery storage to help the grid? Of course not. Because when it's household needs versus grid needs, you know what the answer is going to be. It's not going to be grid needs. We're not inherently, you know, that charitable. And so the answer has to be you change the value stack. Because the problem with home storage is that you only have one value stack. It can only be used for home storage. But if you put energy and transport together, essentially, you're using the transport section to help the energy section. Now, don't forget, cars are criticised for being extremely inefficient assets because they stand still 95% of the time. But that also means they can be plugged in 95% of the time. So they become extremely efficient energy assets that you also happen to be able to drive on weekends. And so when you combine those two value stacks, the picture in my mind starts becoming a bit clearer as to who's going to dominate storage and demand response and all of those grid services in the grid. Okay, the second reality is that private car ownership will dramatically increase. So I don't have an answer to this um, and I'm not saying one is better than the other. This is kind of just my natural line of thinking. You've heard it all, right, that um, younger people these days, and I guess I'm no longer part of that group. Thanks be had. Uh, <laughs> um, younger people these days, they don't want to get licences, they don't want to drive. Interestingly enough, I heard a stat this morning that um, in Queensland registration between, for 16- to 24-year-olds um, still went up 3% last year. So, but it, the growth is slowing down. Oh, but it turns out it's still growing. People are still getting their licences. But anyway, you've heard the stories. Nobody wants to drive anymore. Everybody wants to catch Ubers. To which my response is, once you have a baby, maybe that's not so true. But anyway, um, you know, Infrastructure Victoria came out with some um, great scenarios uh, earlier in the year. And one of them was Fleet Straight. Imagine a world where no one owns their own car, right? And the conversation, car ownership is likely to become a thing of the past and so could public transport. Because apparently, you know, we're all going to ride share everywhere. Um, And I'm not necessarily kind of, like, adverse to this, right? So one of the reasons we're kind of invested in private EV car share is because, uh, yeah, I think car share will probably be a thing of the future. But the assumed reality is that the top bit is ultimately what's going to happen. Um, The car is charged. It gets a call from a mobile because you've called it. It takes you some, it will take multiple people because you're obviously sharing the car because you're incredibly charitable. Um, by the way, only 20% of Uber pool vehicles are actually shared, anyway. Um, and then it'll take you somewhere. Then the car will go somewhere to charge anywhere, be it like a public charging location or its base or whatever. And then the loop will continue because nobody will own their own cars and everybody will do ride share because that is the most efficient way to view transport, I have a different, slightly different hypothesis, and I think it might actually go something like the bottom, which is that you're in your home in your apartment and your car is plugged in. You get in the car and you go to work, and it drives itself back and then plugs back into the grid to provide grid services or to store excess solar. And then at nighttime, it'll power your house. For people who advocate for autonomous vehicles, nobody's actually been able to show me that autonomous vehicles are... Pr- are only going to be used for rideshare and not so much for selfish purposes. I'm not making a comment about how this will affect congestion, whether it's a good public outcome, whether it's a good thing for us to pursue, but I see it as a practical thing that might happen. Whether or not we want to pursue this reality, the fact that you're now allocating and um, investigating two different value stacks means that this is now a possibility. So the question for us is, is this something that we want to pursue? Is it something that we want to happen? Or is it something that we want to stop? And I'm not sure of any of those questions or answers, but something to consider. Because ultimately, I mean, you saw this photo before, um, that the car will just become part of the home. And As much as we talk about, you know, like vehicle to grid maybe taking a while because of regulatory change and all of those things, the fact is that it can return power back to the home today and the technology is there today, the car is there on sale right now and so this reality is this year and so the question for us is how do we take advantage of that, do we want to take advantage of that and how does it form part of our grid in the future? I think the answer to all of those things is pretty vital because It makes sense to me that grid operators and people involved in the grid will want to tap an energy resource like this that's four times the capacity of a normal home battery and that's staying plugged in 95% of the time not moving. Do you guys remember... I don't know. This shows my age. Um, I really... (laughs) I really love this scene in Zoolander where Fabio gets up and says, "Um, I'd like to thank you for recognising me as an actor slash model and not the other way around. Um, And so... (laughs) 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 And I wonder maybe that's how we'll view cars in the future where maybe it's energy slash mobility and not the other way around. Thanks.
0: podcast was brought to you by Zero Mow, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. Zero Mo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit ZeroMo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero-emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.